0: you visit brooklyn heights in brooklyn new york and you walk west you come to the promenade and the promenade is a narrow strip of parkland that was built over the brooklyn queens expressway and from the promenade you have one of the most spectacular views which you've seen in tons of movies of the island of manhattan but if you look straight down you used to see some warehouses and broken down buildings and trash heaps and scrap metal and for years there's been plans or attempted plans to to develop that area, including develop it as high rises, which would take away that wonderful view of Manhattan. But about twenty years ago or so they decided to turn that into parkland and it's taken over twenty years to create what now is Brooklyn Bridge Park. And I'm going to be speaking today with the director of horticulture of Brooklyn Bridge Park on Ken Drewsville Dirt. <coughs> Brooklyn Bridge Park is an 85-acre sustainable waterfront park stretching 1.3 miles along Brooklyn's East River shoreline. The mission is to be a world-class park that is a recreational, environmental, and cultural destination enjoyed by the residents of and the visitors to New York City. Rebecca McMacken is the Director of Horticulture for the park where she manages the 85 acres organically and with an eye towards habitat creation for birds, butterflies, other insects, and soil microorganisms. She is a self-described, ecologically obsessed horticulturist and garden designer, and I'm thrilled to welcome Rebecca to Kendrew's Real Dirt. Hello.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I am excited.
1: (laughs) I am as well. This is such a pleasure.
0: And I I don't know how we're going to squeeze this all into 20 minutes, but we're going to (laughs) try. And... I'm trying to think of where to begin besides your own history, which I'd like to hear about, but first of all, describe the location of the park.
1: Well, uh, we're essentially the west coast of Long Island. A lot of people forget that Brooklyn is on Long Island, and uh, we are—we start underneath the Manhattan Bridge and go about a mile and a half south. We're built on reclaimed shipping piers, so the park takes over the piers as well as a good portion of the land just to the east of those piers as well.
0: The that's still hard to imagine. <laughs> I mean, if you've been there, you know exactly where it is. Sure, Dumbo. So it, we start in Dumbo. Uh-huh. Have you been to Brooklyn? Well, and Dumbo is okay. What's the ac- It's an acronym for what?
1: Oh, um, it's uh, the area underneath the the Brooklyn Bridge, essentially, um, and it is. Uh, I guess if you can think about the. Most everybody knows where the southern tip of Manhattan is, mm-hmm. and we're right across the river. That's probably the easiest way mm-hmm. to imagine where the park is.
0: And, you know, we're saying 1.3 or 1.5 miles. It's hard to imagine, but it's 1.3 or 1.5 miles, 85 acres. And as you said, it's on land that was there and also out on the piers, um, Try to explain, and what's going to happen on those piers? Or, and also, how far along are you in the development of the park?
1: We're we're only about halfway built right now, although everything's been designed. The park is designed by Michael von Walthamberg and Associates, and we hope that by the end of 2014, we'll be three quarters completed. Um, it is a beautiful design. It's just absolutely stunning. It really takes into consideration the coastal location of the park. So the plants are really selected to be on the coast, and the topography is a result of the wind and the sun and um, the noise even of the BQE, which mm-hmm. is behind behind the park. So That's it's, the
0: Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. I have to <laughs> say this <laughs> for everybody sorry. who wouldn't know. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the noise, but g- keep going sorry
1: so yeah it's just um it's it's fascinating when you do come and visit that it's it really feels like a land but the reality is that the entire park on large slabs of concrete that are the shipping piers so it's almost like the world's largest green roof essentially
0: oh well when i visited i could tell that well, I couldn't tell that some of it was a roof garden in a way, but I can—I could see the piers that jut out into the East River. Mm-hmm. So, th- what's going to happen on the piers? Uh, are they going to be parkland too? Absolutely. Every single
1: pier has completely different programming. So, Pier One is really our flagship pier so far, um, and it has expansive lawns and seven different ecosystems from wetlands to woodlands to uh, a salt marsh. It's really diverse area. And then um, the different piers have different some have sports. We have a, one pier that is entirely soccer fields, uh, that is Astroturf, thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, one pier that is houses a beautiful refurbished 1920s carousel. Uh, mm-hmm. And then another huge lawn, and we're, we're developing these beautiful old buildings that are um, called the Tobacco Warehouse. And it's really gorgeous architecture as well along the side of the park. And then Pier, F- Pier 6, which is in the process of being completed now, contains really fantastic playgrounds that have, amazing swing sets and sandboxes and slides and a water play area and then the, the outer half of the pier is loosely based on um, a a reflection of Martha's Vineyard hmm. and the many plants that you would find there, because we have an eighteen-inch soil profile, um, and it's right in the water, uh, and so it it gets really you know hammered by the sun and the wind. So all of the plants there are plants that really do well in a very very coastal beachy environment.
0: Well, these piers, which are like peninsulas, um, exactly. Can you can you tell me how approximately how large they are?
1: Yeah, I think each one, they're they're different. Um, Each pier is quite different. Um, They range from probably about, uh, the biggest one is probably three acres down to about two acres. Um, And they are also different in their weight-bearing capacities. Most of the piers are built on piles, and and thus we have to keep to an 18-inch soil profile. And the majority of our our maintenance budget actually goes into maintaining the piles underneath the piers, but certain piers like Pier One and Empire Fulton Ferry, the the um, the cement goes all the way down into the ground. So we actually have the luxury of building really rolling topography on top of those piers.
0: Well, as you might imagine, it's a little hard to <laughs> envision. I mean, I kind You've of to get you got to visit. <laughs> you got to visit. Good point. Uh, w- when was the when was ground broken for the park?
1: Um, it was. They originally started building in 2009, but this is a park that was in the works for almost 20 years. Uh, oh. It was really the result of community organization. Um, the, the history of the park is that originally um, it, it was shipping piers, but it was only shipping piers for about a decade before the technology changed and the boats got too big to use these piers, so they fell into disuse. Um And they were the the Port Authority who owned the area was thinking about developing the area, and the community got together and said we would really like a park and it, it only took twenty or thirty years to get that get that yeah. done, and it opened in two thousand and ten. Pier one and sections of Pier six opened in two thousand ten, so we're really brand new
0: Well, um now I want to know your history. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, uh let's see. I come to I come to horticulture by way of ecology, which I don't think is surprising for anyone who knows me. Um, the I uh I was a research scientist studying freshwater ecology out in British Columbia and just got very sick of computers, and so I just started gardening for fun, and I realized that gardening is really applied science, and um, you every day is just experiment after experiment after experiment, and it's really, really rewarding. So um, I worked for the Parks Department uh, for quite a few years. I was the head gardener for Washington Square Park for a little while, and, uh, and then I've been here at the park for just over two years. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's such a fantastic place to not only be involved in horticulture, but also in the ecology of an urban um, area, which is absolutely fascinating.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say what you said about science, but now, are, are you Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> I wish,
1: you no. Know, I'm from Connecticut, um, but the uh, Canadian education system is really appealing. To uh, a lot of Americans, and uh, and it was it was a great uh, opportunity to go to go live in British Columbia.
0: I can imagine. Well, you said gardening is really science, and th- there's things that I say and tell people that I th- I say it's art and science, and you can't ignore, th- especially you can't ignore the science. But that's a hard sell, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and people don't. I don't. know, They don't seem to connect with that. Until they really are gardeners, until they've mm-hmm. been gardening for a while. I don't know if there's a better way to communicate it, but I think the things that I know about you, you're fascinated by the fascinating things that are going on, especially in soil, and with uh, the relationship of of all the organisms. And I'm saying all the organisms from humans to uh, dare I say ladybugs, too? <laughs> Please say ladybugs. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> to soil microorganisms. And, it, you know, if we want to capture the imaginations or try to capture anybody, we say we have to say butterflies. You can't say caterpillars. <laughs> you can't even say that. Larval mm-hmm. food, that's like phase three. <laughs> you have to say pretty butterflies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people
1: but, get yeah. upset when the butterflies leave, but they they don't want the caterpillars on their plants, so that's for sure.
0: Well, we're going to change that, aren't we?
1: I do hope so. I think it's fascinating that, you know... Native plants are getting really popular, thank goodness. It's the most marvelous trend we can all imagine. But what gardeners need to remember and what people need to remember is that the whole reason for planting these native plants is because they're the root of these ecosystems for all of these other organisms. So it's not the end result, the goal of planting native plants. is not the plants themselves, but all of the wildlife that they attract. Um, And so when you look at a flower you are looking at the manifested desire of a bee or a butterfly or you know a, a hummingbird so to me i just can't imagine anything more romantic or exciting than than considering that aspect of horticulture and design as as you're outside and then watching these plants perform their Desired functions, so they're not just ornamental objects. They're actually organisms that have desires, um, and and it's so it's fantastic to be able to encourage that entire process.
0: Well, and it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. It's a coevolution. The the insect has needs. The plants had have, have needs, and they've evolved to serve each other. And if if you've got a, an animal that's dependent on a native plant, and then you stick in something from Another place or something that doesn't even have flowers, you are depriving that native insect from what it needs to survive. And people think, oh, well, bugs, you know, really, who cares? But if Mm -hmm. people like birds, they, they really have to get used to bugs. Exactly, because the
1: birds, the vast majority of birds eat bugs. The baby birds eat the bugs. And when you look over a landscape, it really can be shocking when you start to quantify what percentage of the plants are native plants. And if you are down to 4% native plants, like Douglas Tallamy recently calculated in most northeast ecosystems, um, you've got to expect that you're going to have 4% of the wildlife in that area.
0: Uh, so what are we going to do about that? Well, I I know what you're doing about it because mm-hmm. uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park, unlike m- most places, I mean, there's so many. I don't want to. I don't know what to say. Modern, innovative, because it's mm-hmm. really a step back. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you say modern and innovative, we're really looking to nature. We're looking to ancient history uh, to as a design source. And uh, I know we talked a little bit about succession planting, um, and. It's sort of an experiment at the park, but uh, yeah. can, you, can you sort of describe what that is, successional planting? And I want to remind people I'm, I'm speaking with Rebecca Mcmackin, Director of Horticulture, Brooklyn Bridge Park.
1: Sure. So, so managed succession is a term that Michael von Balkenberg and Associates came up with uh, to describe a type of planting um, that is happening more and more, and it's it's really fascinating, and it's it is still very experimental. So, what they do is rather than planting a tree with that the future of that tree firmly in place, the way Olmsted planted. He put an oak tree where he knew he wanted to see an oak tree in 200 years, and by and large, those trees are still there, and they, of course, look fantastic. Mm -hmm. But modern Modern designers are sort of looking at ecosystems more or or plantings more as systems. So they'll plant a variety of smaller trees, a variety of shrubs, a variety of understory plants, and then just kind of step back and watch the system go. And it's more... About looking ha- at how things evolve over time, and moving them in one direction, and moving them in another, and managing them over time, but really giving a lot of the uh, design credit to the the plants themselves.
0: So, if you if you look at an, an let's say a natural landscape or wild landscape in the Northeast, and mm-hmm. let's say that there's a fire or something, and then some plants sprout and we start kind of with a wet, uh, I was going to say a wet meadow but pretty much a meadow mm-hmm. and then the woody plants come in and they're shrubs and small trees and, and after a period of time the herbaceous plants, uh, what we call forbs, non-flowering grass plants, and some grass plants will be pushed out or shaded out by the woody plants. And then the woody plants grow up and they become a woodland. And some of the trees that are understory trees maybe die out from shade and then the other trees take over. So this is the idea of succession. And you're actually planting for that idea. So will you be removing? Will you be Killing some plants, <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, how much of gardening is really killing? You know, I mean, well, weeding itself. Well,
0: we don't just like say that. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: don't like to, but it's, it's true. It's all about, you know, everybody is managing succession in their own garden um, in certain ways, just by by weeding, literally, uh, and dividing, and all of that stuff. But but we do it with trees and shrubs, and we do we do pull out trees um, if they're too close together. If we have we have white oaks in the park that absolutely we have. Have babies all over the place, and of course, black cherries. We have to be we read those every couple months. So um, there's definitely that element of of managing that that level of secession. And but we do the, the one difference I think between natural secession and our park is that we do try to keep the um, the phase. Of, of each region pretty static. So we're not going to let our meadows turn into forests. Uh, we're going to keep them as a meadow, but how the meadow shifts over time is will really be a reflection of the ecology of those plants and the ecology of the site.
0: I I kind of get it. No, I do get it. Uh, but I, I imagined when I heard, read about this and heard about it, I imagined that there were going to be these, um, I don't know, 15-foot tall trees with 6-inch uh, calipers that one day all get cut down. So it doesn't sound uh, like that's going to happen. <laughs>
1: No, that would be that would be poor management, Um, and if that happens, it would it would be a mistake. But we do, I mean, the trees that went in were pretty small, um, and the tree removals, and and more than chopping them down, we do try to transplant them Mm
0: -hmm. wherever possible, Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and. so, and we we really try to give each tree a good amount of space to grow, so that by the time that they do get large, we don't end up having to chop them down at
0: all. Sounds very good. Uh, how many people are you managing? Um,
1: uh, not how enough. many people are under, <laughs>
0: are in horticulture do you, and do you have a volunteer program?
1: Oh, we do. We have a wonderful volunteer program, and if anyone is interested, I I think we really have a unique plant palette to work with here in the park. Uh, it's one of the most fantastic aspects of managing these parks is that we have meadow plants and wetland plants and salt marsh plants so you don't really get access to those plants elsewhere in the city um, but horticulture staff we have two full time gardeners who are both fantastic and we now have a seasonal staff of seven people Ooh. so just as the park is growing so is the horticulture program so we're you know developing and changing with as each new pier opens
0: well we're talking about the horticulture and we're talking about the plants and we're talking about the ecosystems and the the invented, designed, made up ecosystems or, or inspired ecosystems, but the it is a park, and there are events there all the time, and it's mm-hmm. incredibly popular. It Absolutely. just it just waiting. like it was almost as if people were. You know, pushing against the fence to break in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and they break in and go onto the, onto the lawns in mass. So, as as you mentioned, the park is sustainable and entirely organic, and we have a lot of pressure on our lawns. And yeah. urban turf care is difficult enough uh, when you consider the compaction that the turf needs to deal with, and when you add organic and organic turf care on top of that, it really is that's where we do most of our experimentation, really? So it's and our, quite frankly, I have to say, our lawns look great, um, even compared to non-organic parks. So it's and it, it's really interesting that anybody could ever say that organic turf care couldn't work. So if you if you're interested in learning about that, you just have to look at our parks and and know or our lawns and know that it is absolutely possible.
0: Well, we're going to have links on the Kendrews Real Dirt website, uh, whichever ones you'd like to post with us and links to Brooklyn Bridge Park and also maybe some other things that we'll talk about, Um, you've told me so much and I'm too excited. (laughs) (laughs) I I got stuck on two things, the (laughs) merry-go-round and... uh, The the idea of Martha's Vineyard, and I kind of get that because it's an island and it's in a a similar situation, I I suppose, as far as wind exposure and everything. Uh, How did you guys choose that as your reference?
1: Well, Michael von Valkenberg himself, uh, he lives for part of the year on Martha's Vineyard and does a lot of work out there. So I think that's an ecosystem that he is not only very familiar with, but also really loves. So it was a, a really accessible ecotype for that for that whole plant's palette. And we have a lot of scrub oaks, a lot of privet, a lot of uh as the direct reflection.
0: Uh, yeah, privet. <laughs> <laughs> There's, privet. There's uh, the privet
1: alley. Hmm.
0: Um, hmm. No bayberry, huh?
1: Oh yes, we do. We absolutely have bayberry, I'm sure you and do. Um, yeah, it, it, it is quite beautiful. And Prunus maritima that's absolutely gorgeous.
0: So, the, so the plants are not exclusively native. Is that
1: not exclusively native? Correct.
0: Hmm. Th- th- how do you uh, rationalize that?
1: I I mean, the design itself, I I do work with MVVA on the plant palettes for future designs, but most of the park has been designed. And when I I was brought in a year after um, everything was already planted, Mm. I'm a native plant nut. I am a big fan of ecology, as as you know, but... um, I think that there are, from a design perspective, there are certain plants that work really well in the park that um, the designers just absolutely love. And I think even the most hardened native plant person still has their weaknesses. Mine is Ranunculaceae. I could never, never have a garden without delphinium in it. And I think that a lot of, as long as most of the plants are, are native, usually you can you can really have an ecologically beneficial area um even if you do have some exotics in it.
0: Well I'm I'm totally with you of course because I can't go completely native myself, but I do start I do try to stay away from plants that are potentially invasive and privet is potentially invasive.
1: Absolutely. And we you know, we also have daylilies in the park as well and and I, we're, we're nowhere close to getting rid of them but we do like to think that they are contained that they are not going to spread around that um, most of them are in concrete beds that they can't escape from
0: well it's it's a it's an experiment a gigantic mm-hmm. experiment <laughs> and uh, something everybody should see and and I know that it's very popular as we talked about and it's it's incredibly interesting to me and they are so lucky to have you because <laughs> somebody has to keep an eye on all that stuff uh, and it, it to me it's remarkable because uh, and I'm gonna generalize but you know when projects like this are done you uh, v- The last thing a lot of designers or landscape architects think about uh, often, in the past especially, is the plants. Mm -hmm. But this this whole project has been ecology-driven, plant-driven from the start. And I think that's innovative, to say the least. And maybe with hope that's something that will happen in the future. And as you said, native plants are really hot and getting hotter And something funny you you said to me too once was, people want to eat everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think you said that.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's true. And we, you know, we do. That's another fantastic thing about the park with all the service berries. Um, It's they were definitely installed as wildlife habitat, but um, we do get a couple pies every year out of the park (laughs) as well.
0: I've been speaking with Rebecca McMackin, director of horticulture for Brooklyn Bridge Park. We'll have information on the Drew's Real Dirt website. I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today.
1: That was my pleasure.
0: There's, it's it's too big a story. We'll have to talk again. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I but would love to. Good. So many things have been happening in New York City, and we could call most of these things development. Many New Yorkers are not overly thrilled by what some call the Disneyfication of the island of Manhattan. I have to say, tourists love it. We've been hearing about a new place across the river to visit, to hang out, to hear a concert, to play sports, and it's not just a venue for amusement, although there is a fantastic merry-go-round. It is a massive green space, a park. The park presents opportunities to go kayaking, play soccer, hang out on the lawn, but also to learn, learn about organically sustained horticulture, ecology, and see nature at work. Well, join me again next week for another edition of Ken Real Dirt, The Garden Show. It's a kind of uh, if you build it they will come situation a natural experience where birds and butterflies have found a new home on the west coast of the borough of Brooklyn. Well, join me